first of all, our biopolymer has few possible combinations. So there is a ratio between components. The more polycaprolactone you add, the more degradable it will be. The more bioglass you add, the more stronger it will be. So basically, a surgeon can choose like from a menu. You know, for this type of bone, I need this type of material properties. You know? mm-hmm. And what spikes adoption is also actually location on site. Because like main question we've been asked by investors is like, okay guys, why don't you build a factory? Like that's exactly the point. Like when engineers work on site with doctors, it spikes adoption from zero to hundred. You're listening to Foreign Founders, where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future. We share stories of their upbringing, culture, and background, and explore the companies and products they're building. We want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told. Thank you for joining us. When I think of an archaic medical procedure, I think of an invasive and incredibly painful procedure with replacement parts that are not the most natural fit. And when I think of the future state, I think of 3D printing personalized implants that are ready for medical procedures for anyone. Our guest today is Dennis Gurek, co-founder and CEO of Adam, short for Advanced Development for Additive Manufacturing. Adam is a 3D printing startup that develops point-of-care medical device production system for bone implants. Their vision is to build an on-demand personalized tissue manufacturing platform that would be a one-stop shop for bioprinted tissues and organs and cut barriers to medical treatment for millions. The company has been featured in The Economist in the Technology to Watch in 2022 category. Dennis is also a venture partner for FFVC and a partner for Weed Fund Ventures, a highly accomplished individual. So I'm very excited to explore the present and future of personalized medical procedure with Dennis. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get started with where are you from? I'm from Ukraine. (laughs) And where are you now? Just outside New York, Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. Cool. So Ukraine, is there a specific town or village that you're from? I'm I'm, I'm from the capital, from Kiev. Was born and raised there, but worked most of my life internationally. Yeah. And where were they internationally? Well, I studied in Europe and the Netherlands. My first degree was in international law from the University of Amsterdam. And basically all my career was connected to westernizing or globalizing Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. that's actually one of the reasons why I'm doing this startup because I want to show that Ukrainian engineers can do something as sophisticated as this on the global stage. Yeah. And did you realize that pretty early in your career? Like how'd you, why was that your mission? Well, the story is that basically I don't have engineering degree, so I have business and then legal backgrounds. So I got my MBA from Kiev, also in Kiev, but basically Ukraine is an R&D center globally because it was the main center for R&D in Soviet Union during the Cold War. And mm-hmm. in deep tech, which is connected to aerospace defense and, and biomedical research, which was done, which are the primary avenues for the military, R&D, like in Ukraine, hardware engineers are really underappreciated. Like software engineers are known globally 
for a long time now, there have been few unicorns built by them, few decacorns even. But in hardware, you have, apart from math schools, you have physics, radio electronics, chemistry, material science, and all those schools keep producing talent. So I have this catchphrase, which goes really well in the US, like we can build a Death Star, it's just no one asked. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was a long journey how I came to it, but like all my career, I was really common to it. So I had really versatile experiences in international law and in medical regulation and then in innovations development in the defense industry. So all that knowledge, like at some point in time, clicked in my mind, you know, okay, I can do this. Like, and I want to do this, so why not to try? <laughs> Going back to it, yeah. so you're saying there are a lot of, like, innovation, like, people in Ukraine can mm -hmm. build, is what mm -hmm. I'm hearing from you. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Very creative. Yeah. At what point during your upbringing were you always mm -hmm. poised to, like, oh, I want to build something as well? Like, it was that mm -hmm. in the cultural air that you were brought up in? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, Hopefully, when the war ends and the world can travel to Ukraine and see, like, how people think, it's basically what we are, you know, like, the people are so creative. Like, we have this, we call ourselves a singing nation, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, that relates not only to singing, obviously. Like, people are generally very talented because of good educational base. Like, any creative industry is very capable, like, starting yeah. from design uh, like product designers finishing with like real geeks and, and nuclear physics yeah i've met yeah. you before so i know you're like a huge spokesperson for ukraine and like ukrainian tech scene but i would mm -hmm. love to know what were your mm -hmm. like family doing what was that upbringing like my father is an economist by training he went into like after the collapse of soviet union he was one of the people who were in academia and then had to go into business because in Soviet Union, there was no business, no mm. private property. Yeah. And my mother was a teacher of Ukrainian language and, and, and literature. So mm -hmm. yeah, just standard average family, but yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to my family and uh, yeah, of course. And were there any experiences early on where you're like that led to creating Adam? Yeah, as I said, I feel like what I'm doing is like what I have to do just to my bones, you know, <laughs> that makes sense. Like this is, I don't know, I don't want to throw out words and say this is what I was born for. Maybe it is, but like I really feel it. Like this yeah. is what I have to do. Like this is my mission. You know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It was in your bones to create bones or artificial bones. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so you moved around in Europe, and at what mm -hmm. point did you end up in New York City, the U.S., and mm -hmm. why did you make that switch over? It was 2020. We were working on the, on the company for a year already, mm -hmm. and there were a few triggers. So first, we received a positive response from FDA on our pre-submission for material that uh, we don't need to do human trials to get it approved. Mm -hmm. uh, second was acceptance to University of Connecticut's technology incubation program. Yeah, and basically that led me, that, that was the natural next step. Like we were tailoring the whole strategy to move to US because of like market reasons, 
mm-hmm. uh, like innovation ecosystem reasons, etc. So it was always the plan. Talk about the market ecosystem. It's mm-hmm. one of the biggest markets. You saw that even though you're in Europe, you don't want to serve the European market. And why is that? Not only that, like, first of all, the entrepreneurial culture of Ukraine and US are very similar. Like, we get how things work here. But market-wise, like, US has one of the most expensive ortho implants in the world. And, yeah, obviously the size and the innovations culture in general. Plus, there is, like, one thing, like, not a very obvious one, which is, like, when you're on the East Coast in the US... It's mm-hmm. very convenient to have engineering team in Ukraine just because of time difference. So I wake up and I have a team call at 11 a.m. U.S. Eastern, which is mm-hmm. 6 p.m. in Ukraine. So by the time they have already finished work, they have to report. And we can just calmly go through when I still have my mind fresh. We can plan out, you know, just next day. So, yeah, it's a good iterative way to do things fast, like on a daily basis. Yeah. That's awesome. Most companies I've been with has always a dev team, like dev or technology team in Ukraine. And one of them, mm-hmm. like you said, actually mm-hmm. you would say, think it's halfway across the world. So you're like, oh, it's going to be so hard, but it actually works really well to the US advantage as well. Yeah, yeah. With West Coast, not so much because 10 hours time difference just kills it, but East Coast is perfect. Yeah. And then so just more tactical stuff. So mm-hmm. you're running Adam for out of Ukraine for a year before you get mm-hmm. into the program, the FDA approval on non-human trials. What were, were you here on a specific visa? I have a green card, which I applied for when I moved, but I moved on the standard B1, B2 visa. B1, V2. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you basically, a lot of the times when I ask that, it's just like, People who are saying, oh, I don't know how to start because I'm on a certain level of like visa mm-hmm. and status. And that's why, you know, I was very curious about your mm-hmm. your situation. All right, let's cover then Adam. I think mm-hmm. we touched upon a little bit here. We talked mm-hmm. about bones a little bit, but I would love to hear what are you building with Adam? I like to call it a cloud manufacturing of tissues platform. We don't use it in our marketing materials much. We have to like describe it in more words, but eventually imagine a decentralized network of hospitals that all have the same standard equipment and the same process. Like you might have heard, for instance, of Da Vinci robot for surgeries, like robotical surgery. Mm -hmm. Like everyone knows it in the industry now, so it's like a uh, standard in the industry. So we want to build just that, but basically apply the car shop-like approach like when a person comes into a hospital and needs a replacement of some part of tissue because of trauma or just plant surgery it could be printed right there on site Mm -hmm. and technology wise surprisingly it's totally possible like even now (laughs) so there are few bottlenecks which is adoption and scalability which we solved so we haven't reinvented the wheel in what we've done because technology for printing of Human tissues exist for more than 20 years. First 3D printed organ was implanted in 99 in US, a human bladder. The person still walks with it, but wow. it hasn't become a thing because of just how the market functions, which leads to excessive costs. So we solve basically adoption and scalability problem for the technology with how we're doing things. So 
with a bladder, as an example, you're saying mm -hmm. it was expensive because one of the key levers for decreasing expense is like repeatability of that action, mm -hmm. right? Is that what you're saying you solve for is like you picked mm -hmm. a specific problem that has mm -hmm. a high repeatability and therefore you can mm -hmm. bring down the cost? Correct. So bones have the least regulatory burden or bone implants, let's say correctly, because we're not printing the actual human bone. It mimics the material mimics the bone structure and it yeah. degrades over time. So basically the bone grows instead of it. So there are some companies uh -huh. that are growing bones, but it yeah. takes time. So it's a less efficient technology to our opinion. So we've applied like industrial approach, which leads to scalability and, and network effect. Because yeah. yeah, that's one of the reasons why implants are, these types of implants are so expensive. So any doctor in US can have a patient specific orthopedic implant of, yeah. made of biodegradable materials now, but the rate yeah. of level of adoption is 3% because they're not reimbursable. Okay because it would cost 10, 20, and even like it costs even more, okay? <laughs> 10, 20K. So the point was pro the ultimate price of the implant lower than the CPT code benchmarks in Medicare and private insurance plans. And how we're doing this, we're doing this through two things. First is supply chain efficiency, because mm -hmm. we're taking raw materials, medical grade, which have been previously used in humans, all the clinical trials, everything done, and we're taking them directly to the hospital. So we're bypassing distributor, contract manufacturer, IP holder. So yeah. just massive efficiency there. Yeah. And then we're selling it as a service to the hospital. So we're not selling individual implant. So it's a technology as a service. Okay. Like yeah. SaaS, but TAS. Because um, eventually <laughs> yeah. all, all business models, I think, will be a blend of software and hardware. And yeah, where it leads to is that the more the hospital uses the subscription, the cheaper the ultimate price of the implant becomes. Hmm. But you said on the website, it basically mm -hmm. says these hardwares that print mm -hmm. these bone like mm -hmm. materials are either on site or delivered through your guys' company, right? Mm -hmm. And then with both of them, they're basically a usage-based technology as a service model. Correct. Yeah. So how we want to expand this through hub and spoke model so for yeah. instance and it will apply both in us and europe because markets are quite fragmented even in the us every state or every geographical location has its own rules and every hospital has its own agreements with insurance companies and that the same thing applies for european countries so imagine like in five years in us we'd have a hospital hub in each state which prints not only for themselves, but for smaller hospitals or for other hospitals in the area. That way we can scale faster, expand faster. We don't incur CAPEX on building new facilities because the client pays for it, so we don't have to have our big factory there. And the same approach will apply to European markets as well because markets are fragmented there. Although like regulatory-wise, you don't need to have separate approvals for each country in Europe, but still, you know, the markets are very specific. Yeah. So the process there is like, I break my bone, I go mm -hmm. to the hospital, the MRI and CT scan, you can mm -hmm. directly feed into your software, your mm -hmm. software, then if the printing has it on site, can print mm -hmm. it, or 
you deliver within like it prints in like within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And then the doctors there then are using the item that they receive Mm -hmm. as part of their surgery procedure. And what is unique about what you guys are doing Mm -hmm. is this is what I understand when you say stimulates Mm -hmm. osteogenesis. Genesis. Genesis is that the bone basically builds on top of it and eventually replaces whatever Mm -hmm. biodegrades. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Interesting. That's super cool. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. And you have two things, basically. There's a ceramic base one, which is Mm -hmm. highly porous, which I had to Google, but it's basically Mm -hmm. like air and liquid can flow through. And then there's the modified biopolymer, which is a lot Mm -hmm. denser. What are the use cases for both either of them? Well, yeah. So we actually are now focusing only on biopolymer because okay. they're interchangeable. Like how it was happening is that we started developing, like the engineers started developing a printer and various types of materials. And like the main problem in deep tech is that engineers uh, don't know how to find product market fit and go to market and build a go to market strategy. So yeah. like, yeah, they can literally build anything, just give them a task, you know? And yeah, but we're focusing now on biopolymer. But what's cool about how we're doing this is that, first of all, our biopolymer has few possible combinations. So there is a ratio between components. The more polycaprolactone you add, the more degradable it will be. The more bioglass you add, the more stronger it will be. So basically, a surgeon can choose like from a menu, you know, for this type of bone, I need this type of material properties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what spikes adoption is also actually location on site. Because like main question we've been asked by investors is like, okay, guys, why don't you build a factory? Like that's exactly the point. Like when engineers work on site with doctors, it spikes adoption from zero to hundred. Mm-hmm. So currently, because of how the market functions, and you ask roughly three to five percent of orthosurgeons use it. There are 30,000 orthosurgeons and 10,000 neurosurgeons who can use it for like cranial applications and spine. And yeah, all of them would use it. Like literally every surgeon we had an interview with, we asked them if we do like this, like would you use it as a main solution? And the answer is of course. Yeah, it just makes more sense. It makes more sense in what way? Like, is it better material? Cheaper, more efficient, more better treatment for patients which yeah. leads for them to treat patients better. Hospitals have do more surgeries. And yeah, that's... So overall, it's a superior experience for both the doctor and the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the point is that this model is taken off in other industries, like in aerospace and defense, like this cloud manufacturing concept of on-demand manufacturing of spare parts, like everyone's doing it now. Okay. Yeah. Even in dental, every dental practice, like a good one, not every, but a lot of them are either having 3D printers or thinking of buying them. It's just, that's a least regulatory burden. And bones is like, it's the least regulatory burden. It's less regulatory burden than for living tissues, like 3D printed heart valves, for instance, but it's still doable on a scale. So what we want to do is to prove that this model works on bones and then expand portfolio, adding other materials and basically be in a sales channel for materials yep. researchers. Because there are like dozens, if not hundreds of universities globally, like it's the main you know research topic for any biomedical faculty, like yeah. invent some type of biomaterial for human tissues. 
And all of them have the same problem, how to sell it to a surgeon and a hospital, the ultimate customer. No one needs, you know, a powder or no one needs a printer itself. No one needs software because it's too complicated. Everyone needs mm -hmm. a packed, finished solution. <laughs> exactly. Especially, and what you have with the bones as a starting place is essentially a foot in the door, like a partner, where mm -hmm. eventually you're able to upsell different items across the portfolio. So scale, it seems like is the biggest issue and how you're addressing that too is having the engineers work closely to create like feedback loops with the doctors mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. adoption. It's basically like a mm -hmm. white glove service, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And that our key IP and core expertise is actually the process, you know, who mm -hmm. pushes which button when to make it happen within one day if necessary in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Can, so basically like me? the same principle as an app, only, yeah, only combination of, of things like with, with hardware and, and materials. The key to adoption is always the workflow, right? So mm -hmm. you wouldn't use an app, which is inconvenient, right? right. Same thing for, for surgeon. Yeah. Just, Especially if you look at the surgeon. It's just how the where, mind works. Yeah. Right. Especially if you look at the surgeon market where it's like they don't have enough time to do a lot of the task too, then it becomes a <clears> lot more acute that you have to be slotting mm -hmm. in naturally into that mm -hmm. workflow. Can you tell us a little bit about what the surgeons have been saying about Adam and the product? Are there any like testimonials that you can share? Well, I mean, we do have quite a robust team of surgeons now. We like, let's talk about like immigrant founder problems. You know, like mm -hmm. my journey in US feels like I've been hitting a wall, a concrete wall with my head and just, you know, trying to break through. Like when I came, everyone was like, who's this guy? Why is he saying he can do this? This is, I had feedback, not from surgeons, but from investment bankers, like, it's either a scam or a next big thing. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's not always the case. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, okay, thank you for the feedback, you know. And the same thing for surgeons, like they just don't realize it's possible. And yeah, it takes some time. It took some time to convince people that it's possible. We needed a lot of feedback from surgeons. So we started working you know, with the University of Connecticut, uh, also with Yale in Connecticut. Then we got to Mount Sinai's incubation program. Mm -hmm. And that's what kicked things off. Like we're mm -hmm. super lucky to get there and I'm super grateful for how it happened. So yeah, the, the main testimonial is basically the Mount Sinai itself. Like yeah. it's our main strategic partner. We have an LOI in place with them. Cannot share like a lot of details publicly, but <laughs> yeah, this is like, it made things much easier. And what we've done, we basically validated each step of the process. Actually, who needs to push which button when and to very dollar how this would happen. And yeah, this was... Yeah, that's a great insight because it's sometimes really hard to parse out what is an immigrant founder problem and what is an early stage founder problem. And for mm -hmm. you, what you're saying is you're a fresh startup coming from Ukraine. You go knock on the doors of the surgeons or hospital and say, mm -hmm. hey, this is what we can do. What you're doing previously is so inefficient. We can help you X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. And there's always skepticism with early stage companies and on top of, but what you're saying is how you built that credibility as an immigrant founder was have these like tentpole partners, whether it's Connecticut or Yale or Mount Sinai, that helps you bring more credibility to the table. 
And then hopefully it gets easier <laughs> over time as an immigrant founder to like work with additional new hospitals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still hard. To, yeah, of course. But yeah, it's a bit easier than it was three years ago when I moved here. <laughs> yeah. Separately to Adam and what you were doing, you're really involved with FFVC. I think I mm -hmm. saw you at a couple of their events. What is your mission with FFVC? I want to bring Ukrainian startups and, you know, just globe, just bring them to the world because in my head, it makes sense. So because of that engineering capabilities, the only thing that, you know, in software, what those startups are lacking is, is capital. And of course, when the war started, the situation was really bad. But at the same time, like Ukrainian SaaS startups are really, really good because of software outsourcing, which has been developing for 15 years. All those best engineers are quitting their jobs and founding their own startups. Mm -hmm. And because the point is an efficient workflow, we're really good in, in efficient workflow for any app or SaaS solution. Mm -hmm. So companies like Grammarly, like no one in US knows that it's actually three Ukrainian founders. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it has been on the top hundred influential companies in the world. Totally. And there are cases like that, like People AI. I'm not sure if you heard of this, but People AI is. Uh, uh, it's not raising money anymore, so, but if it would, I think it would be a decacorn. So can I just see that there's massive, massive opportunity. So I think like just venture capital strategy-wise, Ukrainian startups will be one of the best places to invest in the next 10 to 15 years, mm -hmm. regardless of the war. And I want to do the same in deep tech because I just understand you know, that the opportunity is even bigger and it's more strategic. And it's the way for us to integrate ourselves with the West and give the value where we can do it most, the value mm -hmm. of engineering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that would secure Ukraine from any future war. Mm -hmm. uh, if we really integrate supply chain wise, that's how I think we can you know, secure our future. Yeah, secure more integration, put Ukraine on the map, and, you know, to avoid a lot of these like catastrophic scenarios that's happening now, like the war, etc. Right. Yeah. It's also totally doable. So it's my passion. I've decided that I will commit to this till it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know it's your passion because every time we talk, it's just like, you know, everything we talk about is very focused on two things. It's like helping Ukrainian companies and startups and building your own startup, Adam. When you talk to Ukrainian founders, especially those who want to come into the U.S., what are some of the challenges that they usually come to you about? Well, we're quite resilient people. and Hopefully, all the world knows about it now. So basically, the main challenge is that they're not understood. Like what people in U.S. don't understand is that there is a Ukrainian entrepreneur there is a very, very, which came to us with his own product. The chances of him succeeding are actually higher than for people, you know, like for U.S. nationals, because it's about the environment where people have been raised. And like, there's this always bias and skepticism, you know, that it's a scam or they will fail. Like, yeah, of course, I understand, you know, any investor or any partner would calculate that risk and think of it. But I think for Ukrainian entrepreneurs, the risk is actually much lower. 
So therefore, what I'm trying to help them with is just to, is motivation. Like the primary thing is motivation, not giving up. Because like all of the startup founders journey, and I have to tell you that it's like super, it's the hardest thing in the world, probably. Apart from war, probably it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So it's just really demotivating. So much ups and downs. Like, you know, you're not a scam. You know what you want to do. You know, it's like how people don't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially at the earliest stages when you're yeah. like, I need at least a couple people who will give you and take a chance, give a chance to you. I think at that point, that's a boulder of its own. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are future boulders as you get bigger and more mm -hmm. successful. There are new problems that come into, but especially a lot mm -hmm. of the early stage founders who we talk to here at Foreign Founders is like that first 10 customers. Like, let's, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of rocky roads around mm -hmm. that. Yeah, for sure. And that comes down to how, what the VC culture in US came to be. And there's a lot of debate, you know, how that needs to change to actually promote real innovation and just not to replicate, you know, same business models and just, you know, capitalize on things which already exist. So maybe that's how I think. And I don't want to criticize anyone here, but like, I think. The very point in innovating and then doing a startup is actually to make the world better. It's just very trivial. And that VC culture in US is like a lot of times you feel like they don't treat you as equals. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to have, you know, both experiences. Yeah, because founders, they're actually building stuff. So the money in this situation is means to doing something. And it's not like they're asking, you know, oh, please give me money, you know, make a present. It's not a present. It's a deal. <laughs> yeah. But that's part of the course for a lot of the chip on the shoulder that we get as a founder. Or even mm -hmm. if you hear like the winning speeches of like gold medal athletes, they're always like, thank you for everyone who supported me. Also the people who didn't, because that made mm -hmm. me better. You know? <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. It's, it's definitely a journey. You cannot get better without feedback or criticism. So the yeah. main thing that founders need to do is just to don't take it personally and always implement any feedback in, to rethink it and try to implement it in what you're doing. Yeah, without mm -hmm. that, it's just impossible to build anything. You ready for the last couple of questions? <sighs> is there anything we didn't cover in this conversation, whether that's like to Ukrainian founders, FFVC, or your company, Adam? I don't know. I'm, I can talk. For, like, it's, <laughs> I'm happy to talk you know, when people are interested in what I'm doing, so I can talk for hours. So you just tell me <laughs> when to cut off. <laughs> Let's focus on immigrant founders then. What are some mm -hmm. of the advice that you have for immigrant founders? Come prepared, for sure. You know, just think through the whole strategy, like end to end, you know, don't come expecting, okay, it's going to happen somehow. And yeah, just be ready. It's not going to be as easy as you think it would be. Just get prepared for the long journey. And last question that I always mm -hmm. ask is, what are you optimistic about? <laughs> I'm optimistic about the future. I actually believe the world will, <laughs> will get better and I hope Ukraine will be able to contribute to making it better. Mm -hmm. Awesome. How do you want to see the world become better? Actually start working on real problems. That's there a are so thing. many. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> there's so many of them. That's a shout out to all the founders who are listening. Is like build <laughs> real stuff <laughs> that helps people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Awesome. Well, if listeners are interested in engaging with you more or engaging with Adam or even FFBC or the, even like the Ukrainian startup community, how can they reach you? Where do you want to send them to? I'm very open, obviously, in all communications. And there's my email on our webpage. I always respond to LinkedIn messages, which is not automated outreach. So. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, I'll add all those information in our show notes. But thank mm -hmm. you so much, Dennis, for joining Foreign Founders. And it was really great to 